Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm not finished yet, it took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened, they've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f- so we'll start with the breaking news today, lads, and that is Tyrone have uh, new managers. And I say managers because it is a joint manager's ticket, Fergal Logan and Brian Dewar. The Fergal Logan was a manager back in 2015 when they won the All-Ireland under 21 and Dewar was a selector. So Dewar's after getting a bit of a promotion there, Conan. <laughs> yeah, he must have said, I, I don't want to be joint manager or I don't want to be assistant manager anymore. I want to be joint manager. Yeah, um, well, no, he doesn't want to be a selector because selector's job now is just everybody knows it's just, it's bollocks. Anybody's a selector? Like, if you, you can be a selector if you want. How, how many people are in your changing room and you'd be like, who, who's that lad? Like, you, know, you can just walk into a changing room and attach yourself to a team. Like, and then suddenly two months later, you're part of the, the management team and you're a selector. But the, the joint management thing is, is interesting because somebody is still in charge, essentially. Like, you know, people can work together well and they can, you know, you can obviously have a good consensus and a good working relationship, but there's still somebody that's going to have the final say. And both people will know that as well. And it might be Logan, I don't know. And like maybe both don't really care who it is, but somebody is in charge. Yeah, well, I don't know, actually, Conan. I don't know. You mightn't have listened to the Hurling Show uh, recently, but Cheddar Plunkett has admitted to being voted out in a selectors meeting as manager. He said it happened once and it never happened again. I'll put it to you that way. So like, you're basically, Connor, you're the manager of the team. Your neck is on the chopping block and there's three unknown selectors out voting you. Like it's preposterous. 
Well, that completely undermines the role of manager in the first place, right? I mean, manager is the guy who, who ultimately has to have the final say. And if I was in Toronto, I'd, I'd be worried about that. Like Conan says there that like both of them know, you know, who's going to be the main man making the decision. But do they really like, I mean, because there's, there's an ample amount of history of like joint managers that just just haven't worked. Like in Mayo, we don't have to look for too far back uh, the last few years to see that the, the Holmes and Canelli ticket didn't work either. There's various reasons around that apart from joint manager, but that that would be one of them. And I did like I, I can't think of too many roaring successes. I know there's been a few uh, in GA, but I can't think of too many that's been roaring roaring, roaring successes as joint manager because ultimately I think depending on the ego of the the two lads in charge. But that all like players will ultimately recognize one guy is the main guy, and then you have to the other guy has to either reckon with that and be okay with that, or realize that he's he's better off not in a joint manager ticket at all. And you see, you you see managers end up end up leaving that that ticket because they they've realized that it hasn't worked. So I'm not doubting the caliber of either either manager. I mean they, they've obviously got um, great management potential. They've won an under under 21 All Ireland with Tyrone as recently as 2015, but. I just hope that they've they've thought this through before agreeing to be joint managers because it's just history is littered with examples of it not working. The, the one I always think of when I think of joint managers not working is Gerard Houllier and Roy yeah. Evans without using a soccer one. And I'll never forget the story Robbie Fowler told at one of the live shows in my previous job. And he was like, uh, Gerard Houllier came in. This is basically both managers have to be on the same wavelength. And I'm sure... Dewar and Logan are like, I mean, they know each other well. They've worked with each other before. But anyways, Jared Houllier came in and he was a bit of d- disciplinarian and they went on a weekend away. It was actually to Ireland and all the team were told by Jared Houllier, you know, down in the lobby, um, you, you're not going out tonight. This is a new kind of setup. You know, we're going to try and move it forward in a little bit uh, of a professional kind of year or whatever. And the next minute, Robbie said they're all down just after Julia giving him the speech and the next minute the elevator goes bing and here here's Roy Evans in his glad rags ready ready to hit the town. <laughs> oh I thought it was a classic. Anyways, Connor, that's the worst case scenario, right? Worst case scenario, and like as Connor said, like as long as you're on the same wavelength, that's good. But I, I know we talk about egos and like sometimes that might not suit the other person, but I actually think that somebody with an ego is especially important in a in a scenario like this because it it ultimately is somebody who has to push through with something to say look i know we're both maybe clashing here on this and that will happen naturally in any management team whether you're joint or assistant but you know somebody then has to make the final say and say like i i'm going to live and die by this and if it doesn't work then grand it's on me but like you do need that person to defer to every once in a while and i think in probably most relationships as well, like a, as good as people can get along, there is going to be that one person who will back themselves more. And I think that's important. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, Collie Holmes is rumoured to be in on the ticket. Joe McMahon, maybe Ryan McManaman could be in there as well. Who knows? Like there's a lot of options in Tyrone to go in with the two lads. Like we didn't get a chance even to talk about Mickey Hart um, going to Loud. That broke on, I think, on Monday after we did the, the review show. Like, I mean, this is a huge shock. Um, to everybody. Peter Fitzpatrick, the Loud County Board Chairman, was talking about this. And I couldn't believe this. So he says, uh, so when Tyrone were beaten in the championship, we contacted Mickey on the Monday. They rang Mickey on the Monday after losing to Donegal. <laughs> asking to manage Loud. Now, number one, Mickey, in Mickey's head, he wasn't going to be given the bullet from Tyrone. Like, I mean, there's such a cheeky phone call. Now, Mickey, now that we know you're going to get the sack from Tyrone. <laughs> like, I would have definitely left that pan out a week. And let's see what happens there, Conan. Because the, the, the like, I, I take ringing a man on a Monday after a championship knockout loss is beyond belief. 
it's like, yeah, Mickey, I've been chatting to some people in Tyrone. It's, it's not <laughs> your. <laughs> so, so to that end, um, <laughs> yeah, like, and, and you know, like over the last, was it 2018 that he's been getting a one-year rolling contract? So I think he never wanted to step away from Tyrone in the first place, but he was just happy enough to keep working this out. He got to the final in 2018, so that gave him a bit of clout as well. And I think considering the year that was in it as well, he didn't get a lot of preparation time. He probably thought he would definitely be given another year, but a couple of hours later, somebody from Division 4 Louth is ringing him up and be like, here, I've, I've got a job for you, you know, for your calibre. Honestly, Connor, if you weren't depressed enough to lose to Donegal and not depressed that, you know, your job is under threat, a Division 4 team starts ringing you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. He's like, people- what, what He's like what, well, what have I become? Maybe Peter, Pitt, Peter Fitzpatrick saw which way the wind is blowing and is thinking, listen, Mickey Hart is going to be getting calls left, right and centre this week, so I'm going to go in there first. Whether it's rude or not, I'm going to give him a shout anyway. And maybe Mickey Hart is thinking, well, listen, I can go to the Tyrone County Board now and say, listen, lads, if you don't give me my extension, I already have an offer from Loud. What the Tyrone County Board would have made of that, I don't know. But it did. I, I did found it very strange. And I found it... I, I, I don't know. Like I, I heard Moshe McConville say it, uh, that having worked on the BBC with Mickey Hart, and you know, the the week after he left Tyrone, that this guy is going to get back into county management immediately. I was kind of surprised at that. I thought he might wait maybe a year. I didn't think he was gone completely. But uh, yeah, it's it's. I th- listen. I, I, we might get into it. I think it's brilliant for Loud. I didn't see it happening, but I think it's going to definitely work out in their favour. Yeah, it's like after breaking up from a beautiful looking wife married for 20 years and some ugly one down the road starts contacting you the day after. It's like, that's not going to help. Shouldn't have, this isn't without precedent anyways, uh, Conan. This happened to Paddy O'Shea, a very similar situation, and it worked out pretty well for Paddy and not very well for me, actually, as it turns out, because his Westmead beat beat us in the Leinster final. He he went, he had a very similar situation in that he was very hurt in the way that he was treated by the Kerry County Board, left and got an offer from Westmead and that worked out pretty well. So like it will be interesting to see how Mickey gets on in Loud. He's not going to win a Leinster title. I think that's fairly obvious. So I suppose what is success for him? Loud have been in Division 2. Colin, Colin Kelly got them from Division 4 to Division 2. Like it's hard to actually see you, you know, he will improve them, there's no doubt, because there's lots of players in Loud and Peter Fitzpatrick touched on that. You know, a lot of players not committing and stuff. But can he actually do better than Colin Kelly? You know, what's what's success for Mickey in, in Loud? This is the really interesting thing about the appointment, because you're talking about Paddy O'Shea and obviously Westmead were a really good team back then, 2004, and they went on and won Leinster. Like, it's not like Mickey Hart... You know, like somebody like Pete McGrath, who had, hadn't been in a job in a while and then took the Fermanagh job, didn't do particularly, he did well one year and then it sort of ran its course and then Live picked him up, he lasted 10 months. Mickey Hart is coming off the back of 18 years and, you know, with uh, obviously an amazing record behind him and only this month, like we're talking about Fitzpatrick ringing him a day after, like this month he was in charge of a top five county, so... It is a strange one. Like, it really shows his love for football. And, like, I don't know what he's thinking. Like, in terms of life, like, I was just looking at the record. Over the last seven years, there hasn't been a a season where they didn't get promoted or relegated. So maybe he's thinking, I can bring a a much-needed consistency into this team. If I can get into Division 2 and keep them there, that'll be the first time since 2013, I think it would have been, where they stayed in the one division like and maybe he's just thinking I can get them up to a, a different level and also maybe he just didn't want to be competing with Tyrone 
in Ulster. Like I was looking at it thinking, for God's sake, Louth have Mickey Hart in charge and we have Rory Gallagher. <laughs> you know, I, I think Mickey Hart would have been sought after by a lot more counties. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it'll be in, and I suppose in, in, like in Mickey's defence. I suppose he's looking at maybe Leinster outside of Dublin, it being a level enough playing field. So maybe a Leinster final, maybe con- yeah, consolidate Division Two, and he's done a good job. Like I mean, they're they're building a new stadium, and maybe he wants to be part of that. And maybe he's getting very good expenses to drive down as well. It probably has to be said as well. So we'll keep our eye on that. It's a, it's a great to be honest. It's a great appointment for the Leinster Championship. You'd have to say um, to give it a bit of a boost to have Mickey Hart um, involved down here. Cavan uh, have confirmed. Um, that they're happy to go to Croke Park. So finally, some bloody sense. Um, and they've released this statement. And in my opinion, they needed to release this statement because it's turning into a bit of a joke at this stage. It said, Cavan County Board would like to clarify that they absolutely and categorically have never considered nor have any intention of applying for a venue change for the upcoming All-Ireland semi-final fixture. We're honoured and look forward to playing the All-Ireland semi-final as fixed by the CCC. So this was getting into farcical proportions for me. Now, Les, I don't know what you think of this, but my opinion on this is that, you know, this is an all-earned semi-final. And while some very good cases down through, down over the last few years have been made, you know, to take a Leinster semi-final, to take a Leinster quarter-final, you know, to take Dublin out of the Super 8's home game, completely unfair, to take Dublin out of Croke Park for their league games, All of those are very, very worthy campaigns in the interest of fairness. But how is anyone saying it's fair to take an All-Ireland semi-final out of Croke Park? Dublin have as much right to play in Croke Park in an All-Ireland semi-final. Cavan have the same right. It's the National Stadium and it's the All-Ireland semi-final. I just couldn't understand this, Conan, where this is coming from. I think Oshie McConville's kicked it off on BBC. And amazingly... Mickey Graham. Now, Mickey Graham must have got carried away after the game. I'd say that's when he probably made the comments and ill-advised comments now from a manager to be saying something like that. Yeah, like you're right. This this isn't the game to take issue with. Like the the leash no. match in the Leinster semi final. That that was the the match to kick up a fuss if you were going to do it. Like when it was played at Crew Park. Like the the problem with Dublin playing in Crew Park isn't that the semi finals and finals are there. It's that like as you say, they're playing four league games there. They're playing two or three Leinster games there. Yeah, that's playing... the argument. That yeah. is the argument. They're playing two Super League games. That that's that's where you attack. And I know now it's annoying that when they're playing in the semi final. But like that wouldn't be an issue if they weren't playing all those other games there. So just now that it seems unfair that they're so used to Crook Park, it's not like a case now of an All Ireland semi final that's thrown into Navin. Like it's an All Ireland yeah. semi final taking place in December. It has to be Crook Park, whether there's a crowd there or not. And uh, we might get into it, but there might be a crowd there. So obviously, you want your bigger stadium to try and increase more of the crowd. So. I don't know. Like this, is just seems to be when it gets into territory. Then of just because Dublin are so good, it's like just try and weaken them at any cost. And the reality is, like the biggest arguments should be next year get them out of Crew Park for the league, get them out of Crew Park for the Leinster semi final. That's a joke. Don't give them two games and separates. When it gets the All Ireland semi finals and finals, everyone's back in Crook Park. That would be fine then. It's not this much to take issue with. No, and my pro- my my worry, Connor, is that this kind of nonsense cheapens all the other arguments. You'll have, you know, Dublin, you know, the GA in Crook Park who have to make this decision to see. Oh, that's just how, like, you know, they'd give out about anything. Whereas the other argument for me is complete unfair. Whereas this is fecking all our semi final. Yeah, yeah. And it seems to just have taken on a life of its own at the weekend to, to the extent that the obvious question to ask the cabinet, I think Th- Thomas Galligan was before the media this week. The obvious question to ask him on the back of it was, you know, do, do you want to play a Dublin and Crow Park? Whereas, 
He wasn't thinking about that. You know, he, he didn't want to be thinking about that or didn't want to be distracted by that. And it's become a distraction. And the worst thing then about it is, is that like, you know, people were saying, oh, Dublin will just be, Dublin will just beat them wherever they play them, which they will. But it would have undermined, you know, it would have been said, oh, of course, Dublin they gave them extra motivation to beat Cavan. And, you know, that, that, that wasn't fair on Cavan either. And I'm glad that Cavan came out with that statement to, to clarify that there was never a request that they made. It was, ne- it was never something that they thought that, that they were going to do. Like, Connor made the point there, there's bigger fish to fry. Like, I mean, like, there was a stat last week, um, that, uh, Wooly, that, like, um, Dublin have played uh, 35 games against Leash in the Leinster camp or something, and none of them have been in Leash for the last 35 games. That's the thing to take issue with. The, the Dublin's advantage in Leinster, Dublin, Dublin's advantage in the Super 8s and the league in the last few years is, is, the issue to, is the issue to be concentrating on and not whether to take an All-Ireland semi-final out of Croke Park where, where it has always been and where it always yeah. should be. Where it always should be. And Croke Park, obviously, like Conan touched on there, it's the safest, it has the biggest dressing rooms, it has warm-up areas, it has Hawkeye. Like, it, it's lads, it's farcical that you think, right, Dublin are too good, so let's bring them somewhere that they're not good enough and make it completely... So you're actually... The, 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 the solution to actually fixing the unfairness Dublin have in Croke Park is to make it unfair on Dublin. You know what I mean? And, uh, and yeah. unsafe on, on supporters. It's complete and utter nonsense. And I'm glad that it's it's gone. And obviously, the big advantage to Dublin in Croke Park, one of the huge advantages to Dublin Croke Park, and it's nothing really anyone can do about it. They're just lucky that they have the biggest population, is they have the the, the majority of the supporters, unless they're playing Mayo or unless it's an All-Ireland final where the tickets will be split 50-50, and they don't have that advantage now. So if anything, Cavan are getting, you know, Dublin in an Ireland semi-final in a situation that no team would ever get them in. No crowd. You know what I mean? Almost like a challenge game feel to it. So they should be delighted with it. And, you know, I, I, I spoke to Killian Clark yesterday. He's coming up in part two of the show and I asked him about it. So we'll, see, we'll, hear, what he ha- we'll hear what he has to say um, in part two. James Horan obviously was asked about the same thing during the week. And we know Mayo don't have any fear or worry about playing Dublin in Croke Park. And rightly so. How on earth would one of the top teams ever get it into a player's head that, you know, there's there's an issue with this. He said, I'm more than happy for our game to go ahead in Crow Park. A lot of players want to play there, but I can completely understand people looking to have a game at neutral venues. But from my side of it, we we're more than happy to go to head go ahead at Croker. And I think that's maybe James Horn's experience versus Mickey Graham's experience. You know what, going to Crow Park to play Dublin and what message he needs to send to his players. As I was just thinking of Dara McVitie this week. And like, I mean, I've spent summers in America. I've had to watch Leash play Dublin in a Leinster final from Boston. And Jesus, I was torn up watching it, you know, half wanting them to win and then thinking of myself and how I'll feel if they win and then not wanting them to lose and then feeling a relief when they lost. I was all over the place, like an alcohol helped, but I was still all over the place emotionally watching it. And Darren McVitie's gone to Australia and I'm sure he's having a good time over there, but Crosserlaw... Crosser Lock won their first county title since 1972, Conan. And Cavan have won the Ulster title for the first time in 1987, which is an incredible stat considering that Darren McVitie is the best forward on both of those teams. Uh, it's it's tough. Like, it's, it's it's really tough for him. And you're right, like, we've raved about Darren McVitie. I'd say he's won performance of the weekend two or three times on this show. And, um, yeah, like, we, we thought, like, yeah, we, we already mentioned the players leaving Cavan. Like, this year would be a, a big blow for them. And he was the main one, but... I remember going back to watching this as a club intermediate uh, championship um, in 2016 and they, they won a semi-final match and there was a huddle and I remember just looking from the stands thinking 
what that huddle is like right now. I know everybody's buzzing. They're all like, you know, let's let's drive it on for final. Let's let's you know, let's put on a big two weeks. And it was heartbreaking not being part of it. Like, you know, I still I still want them to win, but it was really hard to think that you wouldn't be part of it. You're you're going to be a bit of a a bit of an outsider on it. Like and you're obviously you were there in two thousand and three as well with, with Leash. I, I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't know how you deal with it. I can only imagine Darren McVitie maybe coming back next year into the club and county and like, trying to be so enthusiastic and motivated, whereas everybody's probably spent and they've done they've done all their celebrations and they're just not as at it anymore. He's like, ah, oh, come on, lads, let's just do the same thing. Let's win the Ulster title. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a tough one to try and convince them they all get back up to those levels again. But, ah, uh, God love them. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no other thing to say other than God love him. Like, it must be absolutely heartbreaking because I'm sure, like, Crosser Lock won or lost the county final in 2017 or 2018. Obviously, then you have a situation where Cavan were kind of beaten well in Ulster last year. And I'm sure in Darren McVitie's head, Connor, he's thinking, ah, geez, it's better off get away now because, you know, like, I mean, we can't seem to get over the line here. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. You wouldn't have blamed him. Uh, and like, obviously, he wasn't the only one in the cabin set up to get away. So you wouldn't have blamed him. And he couldn't have imagined that it was going to turn out the way it did. So, yeah, like, course, listen, he would have been delighted, obviously. But the, 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 that thing in the back of his head, you know, thinking that, oh, if I had just hung around, I would have been there for two, the biggest day in, the, in my club's history and the biggest day in the county's history for the last 25 years. And, you know, so I was actually only thinking of Michael Quinlan last week as well, that like, um, had he left, that like commercials, you know, had he left, he would have missed out on commercials winning Tipperary and Tipperary winning Munster. But the difference there is I was thinking that like if Michael Quinlan wasn't around, commercials probably wouldn't have won the Tipperary County final and Tipperary wouldn't have won Munster. But it just it just shows how easy it could have been. Like Michael Quinlan, Quinlan could have been in Darren McBeady's shoes and Darren McBeady's uh, could have been in Michael Quinlivan's shoes. So yeah, you just have to really feel for him. Yeah, no, you definitely do. Talking about uh, Michael Quinlivan, so we were talking on Monday, Con, and I was getting a little bit carried away about Tipperary consider- or con- continuing to wear those uh, green and white jerseys. Maybe not too carried away without the, you know, Michael Hogan picture and the Bloody Sunday stuff, just put Tenio sponsor. As it turns out, they're not going to do that. I actually thought that they were. Was It, it was kind of floated that they were going to do it. And I was like, Jesus, I should have actually kept that. I wish I hadn't backtracked on that, uh, on that <laughs> notion. But as it turns out, um, now it would the, the Tipperary County Board said that the Munster final jersey was a one-off replica for a specific commemorative day that will live long in the memory of Tipperary GEA, and they're going back to their to their blue and gold uh, this weekend. So, like I mean, Keane was right, I was wrong, but uh, I still think it might not have been the worst idea. I, I don't think so. Like uh, you convinced me, Keane probably talked both of us off that ledge <laughs> on Monday, but. At the time, like I think you mentioned the psychological aspect of it as well. Like the last time they wore those jerseys, they won a monster title for the first time in eighty-five years. As you said as well, they were they they used to be the tip colours, so it's not like it's some outrageous thing that they were doing. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, like I, I wouldn't have seen too big a problem with it. The only thing I would say now is that the decision that they've made is that it probably has just preserved that day and those jerseys and a little special piece of history now that will never be like tainted if they went out and lost by 17 points to to Mayo like I know again you're taking off the the commemoration stuff from it but does it just ruin the jersey a little bit or does it sour it a little bit whereas now it's just a memory of beating Cork on the bloody Sunday weekend leave it at that yeah yeah and like I mean Jesus those jerseys that look fairly class framed in all those lads houses if they don't frame those jerseys and leave them in the wardrobe like I mean they're off their head like I mean it's absolute class bloody Sunday commemoration jersey 
first Munster title in 85 years, different colours to the county colours. Like, I mean, my God, imagine how much a pub would pay for one of those, uh, Connor. <laughs> yeah, actually, the question after the game, uh, immediately after the game, everyone was asking, were they available on the O'Neill's website? And I, I don't think they actually were. So I think Tipperary might have uh, might have missed a trick there. But in terms of... Um, I'd, I, buy, I, I'd buy one if they were around. I would definitely buy one. It, I, was, I, it was being asked in WhatsApp groups, like loads of WhatsApp groups that I'm in, Woolly, and we're looking we're looking at Mayo playing Tipperary in the semi-final. So <laughs> see how popular it was. But uh, I, I, I think I'd be in Keen's camp listening to it on Monday, just like... We, like, we even talked last Thursday, Willie, with Ger about like kind of tapping into the psychology of, uh, you know, the, the historic occasion. But like, and you discussed this on Monday as well, as in like how, you know, they had nearly parked it before the game. So like if if they were looking to use the jerseys as a motivational tool for the semifinals, I I, I, I don't think it's going to work. I think it was for that one off occasion, as, as, as Conan said, and that's preserved in history now. So it's just the pity for everybody, everybody else is that they're not wearing it again because it looks so good, to be honest. Yeah, no, it definitely looks good. The Sydney Swans um, general manager, Charlie Gardner, was interviewed in the Irish Examiner. And she's just very sensible stuff from Charlie, you'd have to say. And he was talking about Colin O'Reardon obviously getting the permission um, for the, to play the final. And he said, the risk of injury is something we can have a mature and sensible discussion about. We need to understand that all of our players are more than just football players. A healthy, happy player will perform. These guys are a long way from home. We, we certainly place a heavy emphasis on understanding all our players and what drives them. For the Irish guys, it's obviously home and what they're missing. We need to understand this now and in the future. Like, I mean, such a beautiful thing for him to say. And like Colin O'Reardon will go back out to the Sydney Swans and he will train and he will commit and he will give every ounce of blood, sweat and tears for them, Conan. That is the greatest bit of man management, giving him permission to play that game that you will ever see. Because it would be easy for them to just go, no, you're a professional athlete. You have a contract. You're worth too much for us. And mm-hmm. But no, Charlie Gardner is thinking of it on a different level. I think every all managers in all sports in the world should be thinking like this. Stop thinking about myself for a second and think about the player and you will get it back tenfold. A hundredfold, like you, you could hear it in his voice after the after the game on Sunday when he when he he brought it up and he said he, he wanted to thank him from the bottom of his heart and and you could hear what you said that he's going to like go back out there and he's going to be Mister Sydney Swans like you know and he's going to be training harder than ever he's going to feel a real affinity with the club it was massive and and such a a simple thing to do as well but not everybody does it like he's going to be training and stuff anyway he might like they don't know what he's doing at the other side of the world he could end up playing five aside I know all that stuff. They, they would encourage people not to do it, but like he could get injured doing something. He could get injured running up a mountain and he's playing in a monster final that means the world to him. And it's obviously great for him as a person, as an athlete, and just an easy decision for them to say, yeah, go do it. And now they're going to, they're going to reap the reward from it and, and they deserve it. And every time we have a manager on the show as well, I think it started, uh, the first one I remember anyway was Jamie Wall and you had him on in 2016 and he was talking about just seeing every player as a person and how much stuff they have going on in their lives and how you like, you know, he wants them to, to be people and he wants them to understand that they can come to him with, with problems and he's not going to ride them all and just see them all as, as like weapons that, that he can do. Like and all these managers, Liam Cairns, like the people who come on and talk about letting them celebrate the players, give them back more than because of that. And you have to recognize that, that they're not just, you can't just whip them into shape and hope that you'll, you'll have them 
on board for three years. Treat them as people, and they'll they'll pay it back to you. Yeah, treat them and treat them as as people is right. And like I mean, find out what's important to them. And if you have to give one a little bit more leeway, almost in private, right? We'll go to that wedding if that's important to you, you know, or, or some, you know, or whatever that is. Is knowing your players, I suppose, Connor, and knowing what what makes them tick. And like I said, if you give them a little bit, you'll get it back. I couldn't disagree with this more, lads. Colin O'Reardon cannot be allowed to play this All Ireland semi final. Once the final was fine, one game was fine, you know, but the risk is too great to Colin O'Reardon if he's going to play in this All Ireland semi final. Yeah, I'd say you're a little bit worried about that tip team. Now, I don't think you're Mayo are going to be as tactically stupid as I was actually thinking about that, lads, and I didn't say it on Monday's show. In the last maybe two or three years since, you know, Dublin dismantled Tyrone and kind of showed teams how to play against those, um, you know, more, I don't want to call Tipperary a very defensive team, but they'll get, you know, 12 bodies back and they'll hope for counterattacks and they look great on the counterattack. But like, I mean, the other team that lost out badly to a counterattacking team was Kildare losing out to Carlo in, in, in Tullamore. And it was like they were clueless about how to get through that that system and then Lee showed it up in the Leinster semi-final and played you know smarter a bit like Dublin did against Tyrone that day what's the common denominator between Cork and Kildare that day Keane O'Neill O'Neill yeah yeah, strange, isn't it? Like, I mean, that for someone who's kind of have a would have a big reputation as being a coach, they're two shocking tactical performances against defensive. More, I'm not putting Tipperary in the same uh, category as Carlo in any way, shape, or form. But they were playing with you know double sweepers when they could. Are you saying yeah. the occlusion goggles don't work? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't but even going to mention Keane O'Neill was getting such kind of he was getting praise in a lot of quarters for. Uh, you know, his role in kind of masterminding maybe Cork's victory over Kerry as well. And then a couple of weeks later, it's shown up against, uh, in what was the very poor tactical performance against Tip. But uh, you said it there, Willie. I, I'm, I am Willie, I am worried about, we'll get into it next week. I'm worried about Tip. I think Mayo have struggled against that type of performance at times. I'm particularly worried about how big Tip are and how, how, how their ability to win clean ball around the middle. Um, but on on O'Reardon, like Conan summed, summed it up really well there, and it, like I just thought it was br- his interview in general was brilliant. But how well he spoke of um, his treatment at the hands of Sydney Swans, I thought was, was spoke volumes about how how much Sydney Swans value him and how much uh, O'Reardon values what what Sydney Swans have done for him as well. It was it was clear how much it was clear how much it meant to him, and and these circumstances, like the circumstances this year with him and Marquine, I mean, we're not probably not going to be playing an All Ireland Championship at this time of year again. Do you know, so like the to for the likes of Collingwood and, and for Sydney to facilitate it and think how much it means to them, not just as people, um, not not just as athletes, but as people as well. I I thought was brilliant. Yeah, he's a strange one, O'Reardon, in that um, like he doesn't have that blistering pace that you associate with Gaelic footballers going over there. You know, and he's not a mo- he's not a monster either. He's a good size, but like I mean, you know, you you associate a Connor McKenna, Zach Tuhi, you know, these kind of play wing back over there, Colin Begley, just fellas. Who are, who have got you know pace is a huge huge asset to them. But Reardon doesn't strike me as one of these blistering type. Like he's a he's actually a very intelligent Gaelic footballer. I've now I've never really seen him playing the Australian rules, Conan. It's normally just yeah. Everybody goes out ends up as a as a wing back, don't they? Out yeah. there. Um, and like I was surprised because I think uh, on the Thursday show with Connor and Jared, you were speculating that he'll just play number five where he used to play with Tipperary and you know, just slot him in there, but. Yeah, he just he just played such a massive game around the middle for him, just winning up, like just hoovering up like first ball, and it was um 
it was, yeah, it was just a huge game from him. And I can only imagine again, I haven't seen him play much AFL, but I can imagine that he's just just a good player. Like he just knows what he's doing. He's not another one of these guys who seems to have a bit more time. He's not phased about people around him or in tight areas. And he, he seems to just eat up the ground really well as well. He reminds me a bit of um, Connor Glass from Derry, only a, a bit ahead of him. And, like, you know, obviously having such a, a bigger impact with Tipperary already. Yeah, good bit to go. Connor Glass has to go now <laughs> on the evidence of the game I saw. Connor Glass. Connor, Glass Connor Glass needs to win me over, Colin. That's it. Like, I mean, that's uh, that's just going to have to happen. I'm not saying he won't. I have been wrong before plenty of times. Um, come here, James Horan's the latest manager to complain about um, the full panel not being allowed to go to games. And I think now that on Monday we're maybe be moving back to a level three, um, whatever the hell that's going to be, um, that maybe this might be relaxed a little bit, um, Conan. He says not allowing the panel go to games, it's outrageous. I think the players, to a certain extent, have been taken for granted. I genuinely do. We have guys that have uh, given a decade, some more, it may be their second or last time going to Croke Park. For them to have trained all year, given absolutely everything and not be allowed into a venue is outrageous, really. And I suppose he's thinking of Seamus O'Shea, Tom Parsons, Colin Boyle, Keith Higgins, these fellas, Connor, and um, that if they don't make the 26, they're sitting at home. And really, like, I mean, that doesn't sit well with me that, that so one of those four is going to be sitting at home with their family. How awkward is that? Like, I mean, after being there playing for so long and not being allowed in, and if we're back down to level three, I think this is something the GA should really, really be going to the government to say, Jesus, allow 10 more in a in an empty Hogan stand, you know, is not... And even if it's a situation where all 10 have to drive down separately, if it's a, you know, a health issue there, I'm sure they'd be more than willing to do that. But Jesus, allow them. And I think all managers are saying it now, almost in a in a man management kind of capacity in that if John Kiley says it and it was the, and it, Liam Cal said it if James Horn doesn't come out and say it now it's almost like he's forgetting about his 10 you know or whoever is missing out as well so they're all they're all kind of coming out saying it almost to make sure that those 10 know that they're appreciated yeah, and it's not just them, Willie, in fairness. Like it, like Connor Sweeney said it on uh, on Sunday. I think everybody's been saying it. You know, any, any player you've been talking about, that it's not just about the, the players in the 26, especially this year. It's about the fellas that are that are training two and three times a week and, they're, you know, that are keeping keeping the lads that are on, on, the, on the 26 up to scratch. And that it's it's, it's a real shame. The one that, the one that hit home with me, because see you mentioned a few names for Mayo there. Uh, Keith Higgins was actually on the panel for the, the Connick final, but Colin Boyle was the one that hit, that, that hit home with me. Somebody has given unbelievable service. And I was watching the game thinking, and I, you know, in WhatsApp groups, texting people about, about the game. And I was like, is Colin Boyle doing the same thing? And like how awkward it must have to be, like if he's, or if he's you know, at home sitting with the family and thinking they know he should be there, he knows he should be there. And it just it just creates such a level of awkwardness, whatever. So, you know, kind of mentioned the crowds potentially coming back uh, or, you know, they're, they're looking into that, you know, when when the level five restrictions are lifted. But the one thing that absolutely should be the first thing, as you said, there should be that extended panel members. That they're they're the they're the they're the first they're the first people that are looked at. You know, the it's it's not that much of a stretch to allow them, especially when you're going to Crow Park as well, which is such a spacious venue. I, I can't see any reason. And I really, really do hope for the sake of, of all those male lads and all the lads and on on all the panels that have been missing out so far, that they're going to get there for, for the semi finals and beyond.
Yeah, because like, I mean, there's even talk now for the All-Ireland Finals, the Hurling Finals on December 13th. Um, December 19th is the football. I don't know, lads. I've stopped following this COVID uh, stuff uh, while, uh, like a couple of months ago. Stop watching the news and all that. So just from reading articles in relation to GEA, um, is, it, is it that we might be going to level three now at the start of December and then level two so we can all go mad at Christmas and then go back into a lockdown in January, whatever it is. But anyway... <laughs> The, the level two says that for every large purpose built event, facilities specific gui- uh, uh, guidance will be developed with relevant sectors to take account the size and different conditions for larger events. Anyways, I don't know why I read that out. It's not it's a bit <laughs> it's a bit clunky. But anyways, under level two, you're allowed some sort of crowds at matches. Um, that's my understanding. And that's where we were back in September during the club. So maybe they will be allowed some sort of uh, supporters in for the hurling final and the football final. She's even even 3000 Conan to throw a little bit of uh, to throw a little bit of atmosphere into it. Definitely. I, I find myself getting a bit uh, jealous in the UK because they're talking about allowing 4,000 people into grounds um, from December 1st as well. Like, so that's something that they're looking at, especially with, with Premier League stadiums and stuff like that. Like, It would help. It would definitely help. And like, The only problem, and I know they'll probably look at customising it if they can, and the GA will work hard but like on level two it's 200 people are allowed there that's where we were as you said in the summer and it only ended up being what 100 120 fans that were in in the grounds and then level one i think it's 500 so if they can sort of work out some sort of special regulation with crook park it's eighty thousand seater stadium so many exits and entrances like it could be it could be worse but then it's it's gone so far as well see just on the the subs thing isn't it mad though to think that all the all the issues in the ga are generally around being worried about players leaving the game. Like, you know, we talk about Dublin being too good or like a tier two and a tier one and whatever else. Like it's, and fixtures, it's always the concern that players won't bother playing. Why would they bother playing? Here you have 15, probably 20 people in some panels who are busting their balls, doing all the work and, and they're just treated like shit at the end of it. They're sitting at home watching it. It's, it's, it's insane. Yeah, no, like it definitely is. And hopefully you'd hope for, you'd be hopeful that they'll change that on Monday. And that's the GA need to be proactive and start, you know, fighting. Well, I suppose it's not going, yeah, it changed for the semi, the football semifinals. It's probably too late to change um, for the hurling semifinals coming up um, this weekend. Final one, lads, before we go, and we didn't have time to talk about this on Monday because we didn't really cover the Mead-Dublin game um, at all. Karma Costello sending off. How bizarre was this sending off, lads? Like, I mean, it's very obvious that it, it, he was sent off for saying something to the official. But holy shit, what could he have said to get a straight red card here, Connor? Not even sure. Well, like, I mean, like as, as far as I was aware now, I know they clarified the rules on, on RT immediately afterwards. But like I know in recent so years... What did they say? What did they say? I might have missed that. It's like, I think it's as far as I know, to threaten or to use abusive or provocative language to our gestures to an, like an opponent and an official. Um, like a, so like I, there must be obviously varying degrees because like I know when the black card was introduced, like abusive language, even towards yeah. uh, a teammate, an opponent or an official could be a black card offence. So like th- there's been, I, I was kind of just looking, looking to see was there, had there be any, any kind of elaboration on, on what might have happened. And I'm sure Dublin are trying to keep it under wraps, but you'd ima- like it must have been quite serious. But at the same time, at the end of the game, Cormac Costello could be visibly seen to be not just going up to the ref. I think he went up to umpires. He went up to the line, yeah. he went up to the referee beforehand. So in, in his head, he had, he, he obviously thought that he did, very little wrong so yeah. but like I don't know it'll obviously depend on the referee's report if the referee said that 
you know, he used um, he used abusive language and that would merit a red card. Well, then I don't I don't see that he has that he has the case to make, to be honest. I don't know what way to look at this. Like, I, I what could have been said? Like, I do agree. Costello looks so surprised. It would make you think, you know, that what he said, like he's saying, ah, for fuck's sake. Uh, you know, is that abusive language yeah. or is you're a effing bollock? You know, who knows what he said? He, whatever it is, I don't know. The linesman needs to just go. I, I, I would be more on Costello. I'd hate to see somebody sent off for just a flashpoint because it was almost like he was running past the linesman. You know what I mean? What, how would he have said it that quickly and, you know, aggressively? It was um, I, to me, it seemed like he ran past him really quickly and it must have been said in a flash. And of course, the lines. I've never seen that happen before, Conan. I, I'm honestly, I'm baffled. I, I, I watched it back a few times. And yeah. Like, I, I don't want to condone, like, you know, don't say anything to a linesman and a referee and you're fine, right? Grand. But it happens when you're playing competitive sport. It, it was getting roughed up. He lost a line ball. Like maybe the camera didn't pick it all up, but it, it just looked to me that he said "fuck off," and he wasn't yeah. even that close to the linesman. He was looking away, coming back onto the pitch, thinking, "For God's sake, it's not my ball." I said well, if, "fuck if, off." Yeah, if that's what I saw as well. If that's what he said, that's incredibly harsh now, and that linesman needs to—I don't know what do you say—he needs to man up a little bit there. No, I, I think he just needs to like again. Conor Costa, don't do it. I have to qualify that. But the linesman, <laughs> the linesman yeah. just needs to ignore it. Like, you know, he's, he's probably heard way worse. Like, just, you know, he's frustrated. He's playing a Leicester final. He's trying to get onto the Dublin team. He's annoyed the decision hasn't gone his way. It looked to me, and like, I'm not a great lip reader, but that's like, it seemed to use two syllables. Like, he, he didn't turn around, square up to the linesman. He didn't yeah. seem to call him anything personally. It was just such an unnecessary decision by the looks of things. And if it was that F off, like, I mean, that can be more at the situation. Yeah. You know, that's not a personal insult at the linesman. You know what I mean? That's just, that's almost like venting. Yeah, I mean, like, if, if, I, take a, if I take a bad shot, which is most of the time in the game, yeah. I would say fuck off myself. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I, w- I would like to, I would think that if the, lineman, if the linesman saw fit to give that advice to the referee, that he thought he was being personally insulted. Because you're right, he, like, again, qualify, qualify, you know, the situation here that he shouldn't be doing it anyway. <laughs> but, you, but you'd like to think that if, he, if the linesman had realised that he just said that to himself, or in general, as yeah. opposed to saying, F off you, you, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, there is, there is, I know, you know, we're, we're getting into semantics here, but there is a difference between the two. And I admit, listen, I imagine that it, it'll all come out in the referee's report and uh, that Cormac Costello might indeed get off. But until then, we, we can only really speculate, to be honest. But from what we've seen so far, it didn't look that bad. No. And if I suppose if anybody can get off, uh, it'll be Cormac. He'll just uh, say, Daddy, will you pull a few strings there? And uh, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe that linesman will never be seen in Crow Park ever again, Conan. Like, who knows what's going to happen here? He, he, doesn't, know, he doesn't know who he's after been messing with. Yeah. What happened to the linesman? Ah, oh, he went away. <laughs> <laughs> like a mafia job or something. Yeah, yeah, no, he's under the witness protection program or something like that. <laughs> uh, we're only talking nonsense, lads. Now we may leave a go here. Uh, we'll uh, we'll be back with Killian Clark. Happiness hit like a train on a track. I don't really know. Jim anymore. Me and him were like best friends when, when we played, you know. He's seen the light of Jesus and uh, I'm still like fighting the devil, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the dog days are over. The dog days are done. The horses are coming so you better 
All right, so we wanted to get some reaction from everyone's second favourite team. Uh, we didn't have time on Monday. I'm delighted to say Killian Clark joins us on the line now. How's it going, Killian? Not too bad, Colin. Not too bad now. Yeah, just say, getting back to back and I'm madly after a few days, you know. Yeah, I'd say you're a happy man and I'd say you're also a very relieved man because you could have been watching that match on the television like me. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it was a good decision kind of late late in the year, you know, after the club championship to, you know, get in touch with Mickey and, and put my name forward to see if he'd, if he'd take me back in, you know, and lucky enough, I got the green light from him, you know. Right, OK, so like, I mean, how did the conversation go with him? Because you had, how, how long had you been, you'd been pretty much out of inter-county football, f- close on a year at that stage then? Yeah, yeah, you know, like at a, we, I was back with the club. I was my captain of the club team and, you know, I, was, um, I picked up a bit of a knock probably earlier in the year. And a few bits and pieces just wanted to get cleared up, so I decided to step away and and just you know re- relax a wee bit, you know. But um, you know, played a bit of club championship, you know. Obviously, with the restrictions and COVID and everything, you know, there wasn't a lot happening at home. You know, there was no there was no holidays, there was no going anywhere, anything that anything like that. But um, yeah, you know, I probably didn't have the best club championship I've ever had, you know. And Mickey kind of highlighted that on the original phone call, and you know, just made me aware that there'd be a lot of work for myself to to get myself back into a bit of shape and and um. You know, thankfully, I, I was able to get get myself in the bit of shape and put myself in contention. Then, you know. Yeah, so you got your first start then in the last league game against Roscommon. Um, not the greatest performance in the world for Cavan, and you ended up being relegated. Yeah, yeah, it was disappointing from that point of view. You know, like I'd say a month ago, if 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 you if you asked the Cavan fans, you know, well, probably I'd say the Cavan there was a few Cavan faithful. Obviously, they would have stuck with you, but. A lot of people would have been saying that you would have struggled to the Ulster Championship on the back of that, you know, and and Manham, you know, who were a seasoned team, you know, had got the better of us, you know, in years gone by, maybe not last year, obviously, but, um, you know, it was a bit doom and gloom all the same. Yeah, and like, I mean, I suppose even starting that game, nobody really gave you a chance, uh, you know, against Monaghan, obviously, because you had a very strong team out against Roscommon that day, and, you, you, and they only had half a team because of COVID issues. And then you come out in the first half against Monaghan, and you could have conceded four or five goals. And then some sort of a light switch is on. Switches on. I don't know, was something said at halftime, or what changed at that point? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a difficult one to walk out, you know. Like I think in the mo- in the majority of of the first half that we've played, you know, we we probably had scoring chances ourselves that we didn't take, you know, when we were coughing the ball up very cheaply and we were kind of caught out, out of position from a defensive point of view, and that was giving teams opportunities to run at you man on man, um, you know, and 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 they were, they were getting they were getting opportunities they weren't taking every one of them, which was lucky enough for us, but. We, um, you know, we really assessed it at halftime in the majority of games, you know, nice, calm and collective and, and you know, fixed fixed the issues that we were having. And, you know, with a few big players that stood up too, which had the cause. Yeah. Is Mickey good at that fixing issues within a game? Oh, definitely. You know, him himself, Dermot and, and Matt and Corey there, you know, between the three of them, you know, Dermot does like to throw a few stats at us. He's, he's um, very much involved in the stats side of things, but he definitely is an influence on the way we approach games and, and what way... We can kind of make those adjustments and obviously relay that message to Mickey and, and between the three of them, they kind of come up with the plan and, and relay it back to the players then, you know. Right, OK, because like, I mean, in that Monaghan game, I remember us trying to do some analysis on that on the Monday and we were saying, geez, you, you actually played very offensively against the wind and then played defensively with the wind. I, said, I don't know whether to give Mickey Graham credit for this uh, win or whether to call this, you know, like this is crazy. <laughs> and then like against Down, I suppose it was some, it was a similar situation, terrible in the first half and then brilliant in the second half. You like, I don't know. I think that's why everybody, all your games have been televised and you've been, I don't know, you've shown that you're human and then that you're able to kind of show massive character to get back into games. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like I think, 
you know, us as a football team, you know, the last number of years, we, we've been doing a lot of things right, you know, like we've ticked a lot of boxes that a lot of the best teams in the country would have ticked, but we just haven't probably putting up in the scoreboard and creating those chances, those goal-scoring opportunities and, and those shots from the right positions as well. You know, and that's definitely something we've corrected in, in the last last number of months and worked on last year as well, I believe. Yeah, and like, I mean, the belief definitely is tested this year, considering, like, I mean, you were one of eight players that walked away this year, you know, like, I mean, and you came back, but the other seven didn't. Like, you're not even playing with your full deck this year. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, um, it probably just gives all the lads opportunities as well, you know, like, there's probably, as much as any, any, um, any county team, you know, there's probably better players sitting at home somewhere. You know, there's just yeah. different things going on in their life that they can't just make that commitment that that's needed for county football. You know, but the players that we have uh, give give it give it their all. You know, they've worked hard throughout throughout the throughout the year, and you know we've kind of reaped the rewards of it now. You know, we from a fitness perspective, you know a lot of teams are probably looking at us if we're that good in the second half. You know, is there an element that we're fitter than most? You know, there's loads of questions you get asked there from that from that perspective. Yeah, but like I mean, I'd say Donegal game then was the best performance of the year by far because he started the game brilliantly. There was no issues with that, um, and you know, and you pretty much dominated that game outside of probably a purple patch for Donegal around the middle of the first half. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, like in the first ten or fifteen minutes, we we were definitely on top, and we and we were taking a score and chances, and we won't call from the ball up, you know, and uh, Killian Gunner, Killian the Gunner, who you know. He's no saying that the best of times, you know, but I thought he probably got a bit of raw treatment there for the black card that he did pick up, you know. So yeah. we went down to 14 and we struggled to kind of, you know, put the ball through the hands and they were turning us over and, and doing exactly what Down done. It got us on the break and, and attacked us and, and we were chipping away at the pints from the perspective. I think it's seven, seven scores within that 10-minute period, give or take. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it, we, we reassessed it at halftime and made the changes and it worked out well in the end. Yeah, it definitely did. Like, I mean, can you explain to me how the game has kind of changed from a tactical point of view now, even with Kevin and Donegal? Is it that, you know, the game bodies are still going behind the ball, but the games are more exciting? It's because the attacking team pushes everybody up on the on the opposition's team, and it's like almost 15 or 14 on 14 and a half. So every man has a man still, so it doesn't look like it's really defensive. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, yeah, there's probably an argument there. You know, it's probably a bit more man for man than it has been. I think for a lot of teams now. You know, I think Dublin obviously are the are the are the kingpins and the benchmark for a lot of teams on on how to perform and you know yeah. a good measuring tool for yourself. So you know, pushing up, getting those turnovers higher up the field, uh, you know, has worked a treat for us and it's something we've definitely been working on over the last two years. Anyway, you know, try and get those turnovers and and it'll. A team doesn't get a chance to get set up, and they're running back their own goals, defending instead of you know rushing out to you, which typically is what you would have seen over the last number of years. I would have said. Yeah, no, like obviously pressing up on kickouts and stuff like that. Um, you know, maybe during the game as a team might drop off you. Not, you know, naturally as a, as it happens, yourselves and Donegal seem very comfortable in maybe slowing down some attacks and just letting that happen and going right. There's no point in rushing this. Yeah, yeah, you definitely. You know, like we have, we have some great feelers of, of of balls at the minute too. Playing with Cavan, you know, your James Smith, your Grove McKeon, your Thomas Galligan. You know, there's probably not a lot lads in the country, you know, that would be put into that bracket. I would say anyway. You know, so we have that option to go long if need be with lads are catching clean, and and it gives you an opportunity to attack straight away before anything gets set up. Um, and obviously, we, we like most teams, we have the short kick out in the locker as well if needed. You know. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Come here, there was a huge outpouring of emotion amongst the players. Like, I mean, you were just going around each other, you know, just holding each other's faces and like almost, you know, massive kind of outpouring of emotion. Mickey Graham couldn't kind of speak with it in his BBC interview. Like, I mean, I, I was saying on the show on Monday, it was just like, a, you know, years and years of maybe not building on your underage success and frustration amongst all of you. Yeah, definitely. You know, like there was a few lads, there was a few tears, there was a few good bit of roaring and shouting done and a lot of lads you know very happy with the result you know which it's been building for a, a lot of number of years and especially the nature of the loss against Donegal last year probably you know we scored two goals in the last 10 minutes to take a bit of gloss of it probably from a Donegal perspective yeah but they were fairly dominant throughout that game and especially in the first half you know they really put us put us to the wire but we probably felt and after that then too been bet by Tyrone you know you probably felt that you were probably further away than you wanted to be and, and where you believed you were coming into that season, you know. Um, so it was great to, you know, that finally get that realisation of, you know, you're actually, you're mixing them with the best and you, you've got that, you know, covered off of an Ulster Championship that every man's been dreaming about, you know, for, for as long as I've, uh, I've been involved with Cavan and before even, you know. Yeah. Did, like, I mean, you were aware that Tipperary had beaten Cork, were you? Like, I mean, did that give you a little lift? I thought I read that somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I personally wasn't. I think a few of the players might have been... Um, I, I don't know, it wouldn't have made any difference to me anyway, <laughs> from that perspective, I was kind of right. trying to stay focused on the game and, you know, wouldn't have been the biggest shock anyway, because even Cavan and Tipperary have rubbed shoulders a good number of times and I know a lot of the Tipperary boys personally as well and the great great footballers that, that they are, you know, and, and obviously I knew it was going to be a battle, so it wasn't, wouldn't have been just a, a massive shock all the same from, from my no. perspective, I wouldn't have said. No, no, probably not, but were you aware that you were the last team you know, of the four provincial winners in 1920. You know, or, or was this kind of thing going through your head? I didn't know about that until the Monday. Uh, I I've he I heard it talked about, you know, the night before and, and bits and pieces like that, but um, it wasn't something that was going through my head during the game, no. And I'm not going to lie to you, know, I was kind of focusing in on my job and, and not worrying about all the noise all the same, you know. Yeah, may yeah, maybe not. Come here, how have the celebrations been like? Like, we all saw them on the field and that looked normal enough. Obviously, there was no invasion. I remember in 1997 when Cavan won it, there was a pitch invasion, absolutely mental stuff. So you were missing that. But it's very, very unusual under level five restrictions, I suppose, when you went off the field. Oh, definitely, definitely. You know, like you're going into a, into an, a, an empty-ish dressing room compared to what you usually see on the on championship final day. Um, and obviously on the field after the game, you know, you didn't have the, the lorry of people kind of rushing on. You know, my probably father and, the, and my grandmother and my mother and my brother and all would have been the first on to every also championship game we would have played when we won in any finals of that with the underage setups that we had, um, which was a bit weird not to be able to talk to them straight away, you know. So we're going in, you know, you're looking for the phones to get the video calls going on the pitch <laughs> and try and share that memory with them as much as you can, you know. Really? Were you doing that? You were doing Skype calls from the pitch? Yeah, I rang a few people after. Just we had, uh, and it might have been half, it might have been seven or half seven, but at that stage, you know, we were showered and that. But just give give a few boys calls, Darren McVitie as well. Give him a quick call as well, you know. Right, just right. To touch, you know, touch base. Yeah, in in a weird way, it's kind of like the All Ireland final in Crow Park now that there there isn't pitch invasions anymore. You you could probably enjoy it with your teammates first, um, at least. Whereas the pitch invasion, it would be complete, you know, chaos. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I wouldn't say there would. I'd say there would have been a few uh, older men in Cavan now coming on with tears and eyes if, if they did. Uh, if they were there in Armagh the last day, there was a few <laughs> of them down in Breffney, Breffney Park. After uh, there was a chap called Kevin McGee from Shirkup 
you know, and I think he was looking to, he called the Breffney after, but he was holding up the traffic for five minutes. He was looking for the Killian the Gunner. I think he wanted to adopt him after the game, so he did. <laughs> Come here, what was he going to say? So, like, I mean, you, you left the dressing room then. You went back to, was it Kingspan Breffney Park and had a drive through, went on the back of a lorry or whatever and had a drive through kind of celebrations or homecoming? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we we come back through through uh, obviously Monaghan Town when you're coming from Armagh and through Smithsboro and you know there's bonfires and flags and you know probably people coming over from Cattell or the Monaghan side of Cavan if you want to say and, and meeting right. us along the road and people you know droves of people kind of out in their numbers probably just families kind of sticking together more so than anything else yeah. and then in through Butler's Bridge and and the streets mobbed in Butler's Bridge a wee bit and then you know we kind of convoyed into Breffley Park then. Um, we lifted the cup with with the squad at about nine o'clock. You know, the, there's you know forty forty odd members of the of the extended panel. Obviously, that couldn't have been there in Armagh due to the restrictions, which was oh, yeah. highly disappointing from from a player's perspective. But um, you know, we said we 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 were going to well. I think the plan was to wait to lift the cup until we got to Breffney, but um, you know, those, those plans were changed just by officials in in Armagh after the game, but. Um, every man got to lift the cup. Every man got to, you know, share that moment with the family. Um, only family members were allowed into the grounds itself. Close right. family members, you know, three or four people per per family. Um, I think Killian the Gunner might have had maybe twenty people because he's that many <laughs> relations in his family too. So there was a few more on, on his side of things. But um, yeah, we just, everyone got to lift the cup and share a few moments with the family and a few pictures and that on, on in, in Breffney Park. And then we got up onto a lorry and there was a drive-through done. So we were on the back of the lorry for about three hours after that. I think we finished up at 12 o'clock. That's absolutely incredible. Like, what bizarre scenes in 2020 to be on the back of a lorry as, as cars drive past, they give you a beep. I'm, sh- I'm sure they shout out stuff at you as well. Like, I mean, I, I'd say that's incredibly enjoyable, even though ma- hugely different. No, definitely. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that you wouldn't have pictured in your head now, definitely. You know, people coming through <laughs> with the flags flags and banners and you know um i think there was a flare in one of the cars at one stage too at <laughs> right the back a blue flare which is great to see you know and um, but it was great to share that moment especially with the underage of calvin as well you know hopefully you can inspire them to drive on and, and develop into the footballers that, that we will need over the next few years you know um obviously 97 was the last time we won so i wasn't involved i wasn't I wasn't old enough to remember those days but there's definitely a lot of players that came through the Cavan ranks that were inspired by your Darren McCabe's, you know, your Stephen King's, your Mickey Mickey Graham's, your Peter Riley's, your Larry Riley's, your J.O.'s, you know, that kind of way. So yeah. well, I'd hopefully say, we I'd can say, give it an element of that. Yeah. Like, I mean, you were a minor, you won a minor Ulster in 2011. You won uh, three of the four uh, Ulster titles. Like, that's 2011. That's 14, 15, 16 years. What is it? It's uh, 14 years after 1997. There is no doubt that inspired a lot of the you know, to be to be playing the game. Yeah, I know, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like you can see, the young lads coming through now, like eighteen, nineteen years of years of age. Kevin McGovern, Keen Riley, Oshin Brady, the likes of that. You know, so probably there's probably a photo or two with, with a few of the lads there, with um, with a few of the players, current panel members. You know, a few of the older lads in the team. Your Martin Riley's, your Garodes, and that. You know, so it obviously inspired a few of those to push on and really develop into the footballers that's needed. You know. Yeah, no, definitely. So it's Dublin now, um, Killian, and like I mean, you have the two weeks to relax. And geez, I'm sure your bodies are sore, and you know any of the knocks that you've been picking up, um, you know, will will be back to normal. I saw Mickey Graham talking about a neutral venue uh, for this game. What, what's your thoughts on that, or what are the players' thoughts on it? 
Um, I haven't really been talking to too many Dubai's about it. You know, it's kind of come up in the media probably the last day or two. You know, Mickey has had a say in it. You know, from from my perspective, it, like I'm not really too bothered with it either way. You know, I'd just like to get on with the game and you know wherever it is, it is at this stage. You know, that kind of way. I know yeah. there's arguments there that you bring Dublin at a croaker and you know they're a dominant team this last five six years or whatever it might be. But um, yeah, we'll not get I'll not get too upset anyway if it isn't croaker. We'll just have to get on with it. You know. No, like, I mean, it's supposed like, I mean, complaining about playing in Croker is a new one. There's no doubt about that. But from my point of view, the big advantage of playing Dublin in Croke Park, the big advantage for them is the crowd and Hill 16, you know, and having maybe 60,000 Dublin fans in there and maybe only 20,000 Cavan fans. Like, I mean, this it's a level playing field in that regard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's probably not the, not the time of the year to be looking to make them changes either, you know. Like yeah. if people have a, a have an argument there that you know there is you know a, an obvious advantage, you know that should be trashed trashed out of Congress and and the powers to be debated and and you know come up with a solution. But you know two weeks for the game is probably a difficult enough one to change at this stage. But yeah. um, you know we'll just have to get on with it anyway. We'll just have to roll with the punches and react positively whatever the situation is. All the same. Well, that's the thing. Like I mean, from from your point of view as a player, I don't know about me, but like I mean, an All Ireland semi final. I don't know, it just feels strange not being in Croke Park. I don't know, but I, I completely understand. Like, I've been talking about Dublin having an unfair advantage playing all their games in Croke Park. But the argument for me is they should be taking their league games out and taking all those extra games out. But an all-around semi-final is a Croke Park kind of fixture. It all, like, it always has been. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Like, and, and if the fans were there, you know, I think a lot of the lads would be in agreement that, you know, it's it's not even up for debate that... You know, you can run out with 80,000 people roaring and shouting at you. That's a feeling that you don't probably have too often. And a lot of players yeah. mightn't have had that came through the ranks. You know, it's definitely something you'd like to experience. But, you know, I, I but don't have really any strong views on, on, the, on, the, on the topic. You're not going to wear like it. Just kind of yeah. uh, just get on with it more so than anything else. Yeah. OK, so like, I mean, this uh, the show's um, going out tomorrow on Thursday. So I presume you're back training or have you been back training already? Or when do you kind of get the show back on the road? Yeah, yeah, you know, we got a bit done last night, so we did, you know, just, just off the cobwebs a bit and pieces like that and, and just get the get the head screw back on and, and try and start, sit down and analyse what Dublin are going to bring and, and what we can do to kind of, you know, affect that affect that train that is Dublin, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think you're a Dubliner 1 to 100, but uh, I suppose considering the year Cavan had, people might be a little bit mad to be backing against Cavan in any game from now on. <laughs> Come here, Killian. Um, thanks, yeah. very much for, thanks very much for taking the call. I really appreciate it. And best of luck against Dublin. No, that's the talk on 100%. All right, great stuff from Killian there. We'll be back next Thursday where we'll preview the two big ones, the two All Ireland uh, semi finals. So we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. Yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. 
That's stamps.com code program.